turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Well, welcome back. Friday, February 2nd, 2024. I am Seth Liebson. I have my producer, David Dahl, in front of me, Miss Teresa behind him, and Mr. Bill coming in studio. The reason I needed you in studio, sir. Me? Yes, I needed you in studio, uh, was... Um, to ask you, uh, well, Carl Weathers just died. Oh. Yeah. And uh, I did not know this, but he played for the Oakland Raiders. Yes. And I wonder if he would have played with any of the famous, like Lyle Alzado, or would that have been around? Or is that a little early? That'd be a little early, maybe. For I, I would bet on at least a little crossover. Yeah. I, I would say probably 70s, mid to late 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Well, it was good to have Dismissed. you. All right. I, well, I know. Well, the thing is with you, it's it's sports, if not within the last four years. Yeah, yes, correct. You're, your I'd be of no is, help to you of what, who, who won last week. I love historically. that. Historically. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And do you want to tell the audience why? Uh, with the NFL, I think it started with the Kaepernick kneeling. Not yeah. just if it was just one guy, I right. think I could have compartmentalized right. that, but the league embracing it and yeah. then— I still remember it was week three in 2017. That was the last game yeah. I ever made it a point to sat down and watch, be, sit down and watch, because that was when the league in mass, you know, someone from almost every right. team, right. M- many people from every team were taking knees, and I said, oh, "All right, I'm out." So you, and this the league, was before the BLM stuff. Yes, it was, because that stuff was 2020. 2020, right? yeah. Then they just kicked it into overdrive with the putting end racism in the end zone, and yeah. And we, that game. we read that famous article at the time. It wasn't famous. We helped make it famous. Yes. Uh, you discovered Clay Travis. I discovered Clay Travis, little-known commentator at the time in sports, and now— At least little-known to us. Little-known to—did you know him before? You, you had no. heard of him a little. No? You had not? I don't think so. Okay. All right. But it was he was great. He had a great essay on—, uh, on um, Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. I remember reading it and got so many requests for it, just mm-hmm. taking Colin Kaepernick down. Yeah. Down. Anyway. All right. Carl Weathers. Great uh, career. Yeah. Predator. Rocky th- Rocky, 1 through 3. Yeah. And later in his career, very, very funny in Arrested Development. Yes. That's right. That's right. With his parsimonious ways. His parsimonious ways. You earned your keep today, Mr. Bill. Thank you, sir. Anything Thank else you, you want to share? Or are you good? I'm good. Okay. In reading for in reading that I, I, I broke the news to Seth not a few minutes ago, in reading that he just died today, it appears that he filmed a Super Bowl commercial, which will air, wow. or perhaps we have to say the big game, which will air in the big yeah. game, <laughs> uh, coming up in two weeks. Mr. Bill doesn't care about that. 
Remember, it's post twenty seventeen. No, I might go online for the commercial. After yes, it the does fact. exist. You can watch it. He doesn't he, even know that who's was playing. His, <laughs> that was his last work. Apparently, it's probably fair to say I know more about current football than Mr. Bill, which could not have been said four years ago. You were you were telling me you were watching a Forty ers game last Sunday. You yeah, the Forty ers game. game. Yeah. Well, there were only two games last Sunday. The Detroit, so the Detroit Forty ers all right, we got to do uh, some serious stuff here. U.S. begins Middle East airstrikes in response to the deaths of three soldiers. It is Groundhog Day, um, after all. So uh, why wouldn't we be still dealing with um, the threat uh, that Iran and its proxies uh, have inflicted on Americans, not to mention her allies? Um, the U.S. has begun reading from Fox News retaliatory strikes on Middle East targets from multiple platforms. The strikes are in response to the deaths of three U.S. members. Last Sunday, the initial strikes by manned and unmanned aircraft were hitting command and control headquarters. In a statement, U.S. Central Command CENTCOM said the forces conducted airstrikes on more than 85 targets in Iraq and Syria against Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the Quds Force, and affiliated militia groups. They started at 4 p.m. Eastern. Today, the agency said the forces conducted the strikes with numerous aircraft, including B-1B bombers. The airstrikes also use more than 125 precision munitions. The 85 targets included command and control, intelligence center, militia group rockets, missiles, unmanned vehicle storages, and supply chain facilities. The strikes come after drone strikes killed three U.S. troops in Jordan last weekend. Two, two, two other additional thoughts or points here. One is I just saw the um, military correspondent, the Pentagon correspondent on Fox News, is it Jennifer Griffith? She was saying that um, the Pentagon is stating that these attacks will last, these reprisals, whatever you, strikes, whatever you want to use, call them strikes, will be uh, on, an ongoing campaign for several days. Um, the thing that comes to me is the sentence, the strikes come after drone strikes killed three U.S. troops in Jordan last weekend. It's been an issue of mine on any number of policies, domestic or international, a concern of mine, more than a concern, uh, uh, of, um, of any number of issues, domestic and international, foreign, <clears throat> that why does it, excuse me, why do we wait too many times for not just the knife on our throat, but for it to be drawing blood before we act? And you can say this about the crime issue. You can say this about the defund the police. You can say it about homeless. You can say it about drugs. You can say it about uh, drug overdose deaths. You can say it about what's going on in the Middle East and Iran. They have been, their proxies have been launching rockets at us for months, for months, they have been blocking international trade. Two Navy SEALs, two Navy SEALs were killed trying to prevent illegal arms shipments from Iran in the Gulf of Aden three weeks ago. What took you so long? They have all these obvious targets available to them because we only learned of these three soldiers' deaths what, about uh, five, six days ago? And I have to tell you, um, these things are preventable. 
These things are preventable. We have had a policy of Iran where we have unwelcomed them and encouraged them. Iran was practically broke, practically broke until Joe Biden came to office, until he poured billions of dollars and eased up on the sanctions, which had allowed them to make billions and billions of dollars more. They have attacked our allies. They have attacked Americans. They have attacked international shipping. And we've done nothing. And we've done nothing because we want to encourage them to come back to some kind of chimerical negotiating table over nuclear weapons, which reminds me that Americans die regardless of whether Iran has nuclear weapons. They'll not. Americans and our allies get killed regardless of Iran having nuclear weapons. It seems to me we can do enough to prevent Iran from having nuclear weapons in other ways than giving them a lot of money to spend on, how did John Kerry put it when Barack Obama did it and he was Secretary of State and was asked, can we ensure that this money will not go to terrorist operations? And he said, we cannot. Truest thing he ever said. Truest thing he ever said. And so at this point, we have further questions. We, have, we had sent a sortie of attacks two weeks ago against Iranian proxies after, particularly the Houthis in Yemen, after we had given them a forewarning, after we told them we were coming. We did the equivalent of what Israel did in its urban campaign by the knocking and announcing before the bombing. But the difference between what Israel needed to do or did or whose practice abides in Gaza and what the U.S. was doing in attacking those sites in Yemen is that when Israel was going into Gaza and attacking facilities that they forewarned were going to be attacked was precisely because they knew that they weren't exclusively or outwardly military or uh, military uh, institutions, military facilities. They were, in some cases, housing, in some cases, other kinds of facilities that terrorists used, that the intelligence had that the terrorists were using as cover. So Israel gave announcements so that the civilians who were, you know, uh, enmeshed there could get out. That was not the case with the uh, institutions in Yemen. That was not the case with the bombings in Yemen, which were military targets, and we warned them ahead of time. We warned them ahead of time. Are we doing that now? Are we doing that in this campaign? I will tell you, as someone said, our attempt, our plan and attempt to go after facilities in Iraq, Yemen, and Syria, as we are now doing, was the worst-kept secret in Washington. It was all but announced prior to the world that this would be taking place. Hopefully, it at long last is effective. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, brought to you live by the, uh, by the uh, veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Um, it's a great uh, delight to bring back an old and dear friend of mine. Um, I wish the occasion were otherwise for so doing. But John Hinderocker is one of the co-founders and uh, co-editors, publishers at the Powerline blog, powerlineblog.com. And uh, John, thanks for being with us. Hey, great to be with you, Seth. Yeah, you bet. It's great to have you still with us. Um, 
this is a terrible thing, um, and it's an amazing thing. Uh, Your office in Minneapolis, uh, in Minnesota, was firebombed. And uh, people can go to the Powerline blog and see uh, your post from yesterday about it. It was firebombed last weekend, and they can read your update about it. But you tell us about it. And why did it take the media so long to get to as well? So, So our office, and we have about 22 people. Uh, in our office on a full-time basis. Our office is in a is in a building in suburban Minneapolis, about three or four miles west of downtown Minneapolis. It's a good-sized building, but just three stories. And and there are three conservative organizations in that building. Uh, the other two uh, were born in our conference room. They were closely closely allied with them. And um, and we used to joke, you know, that, that if the left wingers knew what they were doing, they should bomb our building. Yeah. Well, it turns out they did. Yeah. So what happened is that uh, at two o'clock in the morning, last Saturday night, Sunday morning, two o'clock, uh, somebody broke into that building and they set two distinct fires. One of the fires they set on the ground floor in the corridor between our office, that is Center of the American Experiments office, and the office of a group called Take Charge, which basically uh, encourages black young people to to uh, take charge of their own lives, to be to be victors rather than victims, and so forth. We we actually sublease that space to Take Charge. So in the corridor between the American Experiment Office and the Take Charge Office on the ground floor, they set one fire, and then on the third floor. They broke into the office of the Upper Midwest Law Center, which is a conservative public interest law firm on whose board I, I serve. And they set a second fire in that office. That office is now completely destroyed. So, so this all happened at about 2 o'clock in the morning. And fortunately, somebody saw the flames of the smoke, called the fire department. The fire department got there quickly and extinguished both of those fires. But they did terrible damage yeah, you if you if it. you go to my yeah. my power line yeah. post you yeah. can see a picture of that that like corridor Gaza. outside our yeah. office yeah. And, yeah it's got it it looks like a war zone yeah. and, and and you know seth we all get attacked on twitter and that kind of sure. thing or you get threats or whatever we're all used to that but i'll tell you when somebody actually firebombs yeah. your office yeah. It's, it's something completely different. Yeah, what did Churchill say? That was something about there's nothing so exhilarating as being fired at without consequence or something like that. But I'm sure, yeah, 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 shot at and missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's this business about? DFL representative Andy Smith found the arson a laughing matter. Yeah, this uh, he's just a Democratic uh, representative uh, did, did a Twitter post, I think, some social media. Uh, where he was kind of yucking it up over the over the uh, arson, and uh, but but he got, he was quickly criticized for that. It deleted the post. So unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. Min- yeah, Minneapolis. I remind people was kind of the vector for uh, the entire plague of 2020 that uh, that that began the uh, the defund the police movement, and of course a lot of a lot of race riots. Um, and, and I, and I'm just wondering, you know, it affected a lot of cities, John, that weren't exactly that stable and safe in the first place, made them worse. Was Minneapolis, did it go south too, or was, I mean, as the vector of it all, you would think. It's gone way south. It's gone way south, Seth. And actually, as we've documented, 
we've got a full-time public safety um, uh, criminal justice policy fellow working on crime and criminal justice in, in Minnesota. And he's documented the fact that the crime rate actually was rising fairly significantly before the George Floyd incident and the riots that followed, and then it zoomed up after that. So that for the first time in history, I mean, going back to statehood, Minnesota was now above the national average in serious crime as opposed to being below the national average. And, And we've stayed above average. And it's had a really a devastating impact, particularly on the city of Minneapolis. Yeah, I remember I was there for the convention. Was that 08? I think the Republican convention of 08. And I didn't see that. That was not the city I saw. It was maybe they cleaned it up for the convention. I don't know. But it was a lovely place to be, um, the Twin Cities. Well, I mean, historically, you know, Minnesota was always a low crime area. The Twin Cities were a low, low crime metropolitan area but that has been changing in recent years and it really accelerated after george floyd yeah um uh, by the way can you stay another segment just to do some world events and stuff or do you got to run oh sure and there's more we could say about the arson go ahead go right ahead we have a few minutes here go ahead yeah sure well you know so so one obvious question is are they going to catch the perpetrators so the the investigation the, the the federal authorities were immediately brought in because it was obvious it was arson and so they, they've divided responsibility for the investigation so that ATF is doing the fire investigation per se, documenting the arson and so on. And, and meanwhile, on a parallel track, the FBI is doing the investigation to try to catch the, uh, the arsonists. Sure. So I've been cooperating closely with the FBI agents on trying to— Why is it an FBI matter, by the way? Well, because because we operate on an interstate basis. Of course, there you go. Yeah, the, sorry, right. And right, because the right, and because right, the basis right, for the arson right, was ideological. Right, right, right. Those are the two boxes right, that they have to right, check. Right, and it yeah. could be considered terrorism, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you can call it domestic terrorism yeah. if you want to. You bet. You bet. <laughs> it beats the yeah. heck out of moms at school board. Yeah, right? yeah, it sure does, doesn't it? It's, it's so, shows, it's so I've been you. cooperating with the FBI folks and in trying to surface. Uh, possible sources, you know, who who could this have been? Yeah, yeah. And the reality, Seth, is that we've annoyed a lot of people. We work across a broad range of issues. Yep. And so you could be talking about eco-terrorists. Yep. You could be talking about Antifa types. You could be talking about pro-Hamas, you know, pro-genocide. You have people. been outspoken or, on that issue. You have yeah, been. Yeah. I, or, or, or maybe maybe just garden variety left-wingers, you know. But 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 the point I want to make is that we, we the, the main hope that I hold for solving the crime lies in the fact that you can't get to our office. You can't get to that building without driving down a frontage road uh-huh. next to a major highway. Uh-huh. Well, the, I, I asked the FBI guys, and, and the answer is yes, that frontage road has cameras. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about 2 o'clock in the morning. The number of vehicles driving down that frontage road is really small, you know, in a 20-minute interval, really small. And if those cameras were able to catch license plate numbers, which I don't know the answer yet, if they were or not, but if they were, that could very possibly crack the case. And you're pretty convinced it would have been political. It would be odd that it wouldn't be given who was targeted here, what was targeted. Well, yeah, I don't think there's a—yeah, it was not coincidence that that they targeted— uh, very specifically, you know, the three conservative organizations in the building. There's a lot of small businesses in the building. You know, there's psychologists and chiropractors and financial advisors and, and whatever. But, 
John, let but me take a quick commercial break. I want to come back with you on some other stuff, too, as well, if I can keep you for just another segment. It's great hearing sure, your voice you again. And glad you made it through all this. Uh, John Hinderocker from Powerline, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Lots of misinformation flying around here during the break between the production team. Um, but one thing I can correct, um, Lyle Alzado did not, in fact, play with Carl Weathers, who passed away today. They were in the um, they were they played professional football at the same time. But Lyle was with the Denver Broncos when uh, Carl Weathers was with uh, the Oakland Raiders. John Hinderocker is our guest. Sorry to have to subject you to that, John, but I'm, you know I'm I'm getting bad info here, and we need to set Steph, the record Steph, straight. You, you told me something I didn't know. <laughs> Did you need to know? That's another question. I don't know if you need to know. <laughs> but uh, our uh, rest in peace, Carl Weathers. Uh, of course, Apollo Creed. Uh, John, you guys over at the Powerline blog, you do a lot on uh, foreign policy and defense policy and stuff like that. We are now um, evidently uh, striking against Iran proxy groups in Syria, Iraq and Yemen. Uh, unclear as to whether we announced that we were doing so, although it was the worst kept secret in Washington, as Jennifer Griffith put it. We all but announced this would be coming anyway for the last several days. Um but it's also um, interesting to say that it's going to go on for several days. Um, and my own sense is, OK, finally, about time. I don't know how many Americans have to die or allies have to be uh, punished, killed and attacked by Iran before we act. It just seems to me this administration, John, has one policy, uh, um, overall overarching policy, whether it's domestic or foreign, whatever the previous administration did, will do the opposite, except none of it is working. And that includes Middle East policy. I think there's a lot of truth to that, Seth. I'll make another point, and that is that the the overriding fear of the, of this administration in the Middle East is is the fear of a wider war. Yeah. So we've got the right. war going on between right. between Israel and Gaza, and of course you got you got Hezbollah trying to chime in there from the north, et cetera. And yep. I got the Houthis wherever they are. Yep. And 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 the administration has just been petrified by this fear of a wider war. Well, as a result of that. There have been there's been this steady stream of incursions, you know, by these Iranian proxies in, in Iraq and 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 in Syria and, and the Houthis harassing shipping there uh, in the Indian Ocean or wherever. And it's gone on and on. And so now, belatedly, yep. we're, we're getting these responses from the administration. And I hope they're strong. Yep. You know, I, your reflex is to say, oh, it's a weak response. I'm not sure that's true. I, yeah, I, we don't you know, know I don't know. We don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. The idea that these ragtag rebels right. of Yemen have been able to hobble international commerce Correct. for the last, what's it been, the last month? Yep. Yeah, at least. It, 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 yeah. It's an absolute outrage, you know. They used to hang pirates. Yes. I, you know, piracy was not an acceptable right. you know, part of society. Right. And the idea that these people have been able to just, you know, be, be the puppeteers uh, over international trade week after week is an outrage. Yeah. You know, they should have been crushed. Yeah. A long time ago. I and, agree with and everything so, you're saying. Uh, you know, we, we, we let it go, we let it go, we let it go, and, and then finally we have to act. And let's just, let's just hope that when we finally act, it's going to be... Oh, one more thing. Yes, sir. I, I haven't followed this as closely as I usually would because I've been preoccupied yes. with the arson and other <laughs> yes. things. 
you know, but, but I, I noticed that in a headline that Joe Biden was saying that something or other was a red line. Yes, really. <laughs> Did he oh use God. that phrase? Did he <laughs> really bring that back? Oh, no. Joe, say it ain't so. It's awful. It's awful. His com- It's just awful. And the way he does these these little press uh, these press uh, interactions with the helicopter, only only when there's a helicopter humming in the background. So he it's just awful. Everything they're doing is it's an embarrassment, but it's an embarrassment to be pushed around by these folks as well. And uh, I only have about a minute and a half left, John. I appreciate your time on a Friday afternoon. But this notion that uh, they're worried about a wider war, it just reminds me of what Lincoln said in the second inaugural. Uh, we deprecated war, but one would make war and the other would accept war. They have been at war with us for decades, for decades. Weakness invites war. Yes, you know, weakness invites aggression. And if you're weak because you're afraid of a wider war, that increases the likelihood yep. that you're going to get a wider exactly war. Right. Exactly right. Well, keep us posted on uh, the investigations and hopefully the arrests and bringing to justice of those who firebombed uh, your offices, John. And uh, it's just nice to catch up with you. I'm sorry I, uh, I have... Uh, I haven't had you on in a long time. That's my fault. But stay, stay well and uh, keep up the great work at the Center for the American Experiment as well. Yes. Thank you very much, Seth. You bet Bye-bye. You. God bless and Godspeed. Uh, Gina Swoboda, the new chairman of the Arizona Republican Party, will be joining us when we come right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a delight and privilege to welcome to our airwaves the newly elected uh, chairman, chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party, Gina Swoboda. She was elected uh, not exactly a week ago, a week ago tomorrow, and uh, delighted to have you with us, Gina. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Seth. It's great to be on. You betcha. Uh, I was just thinking, I don't know what, I don't know your faith commitments. I was just thinking, chair of the Arizona GOP, if you, if, if purgatory is in your faith, you can bypass it, I think, when, when, when that day comes. <laughs> you think you that's get a the level ticket. of Dante's Inferno? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm just saying you get a straight <laughs> ticket out of there. Um, it's a great, great thing that, uh, that the party united around you and that you are doing it. Talk, you. you betcha. Uh, talk to the audience a little bit about yourself. I met you, we were on a panel some few years ago out in the West Valley, but as a first-time guest on the show, I think, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, sure. Um, I My background is as an elections official, an elections uh, administrator. I worked in uh, the Secretary of State's office in Arizona under two different administrations. Um, I'm a a certified uh, election officer. I am a volunteer deputy registrar with Maricopa County. And I'm the senior policy advisor to the State Senate Committee on Elections. Great. Well, thank you. Uh, Give the audience a little bit of sense of what you're going to be focused on uh, as the chair of our uh, party going into November this year. So um, we need to get the voter registration uh, program kind of amped up a little bit. Um, We need to make sure that all of our congressional uh, delegation and our candidates have access to data, uh, which is provided to us uh, by the county election departments, uh, 
by statute, right? So, so that's how we know where the voters are. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to work with the outside partner groups that are engaging on things like uh, ballot chase mm-hmm. or um, get out the vote operations and, and make sure we're channeling all the volunteers into the programs that they care about. Mm-hmm. We need to coordinate with the victory field operation. Um, that'll be expanding on the ground soon. Uh, those are the folks that, that come in at the behest of, of the national party and the campaigns. Mm-hmm. Right now, um, we still have primaries going on, yep. uh, so we don't, we don't have um, – set candidates to kind of unify behind, right. but as soon as those are over, we'll, we'll get together and engage in that. And while that's going on, um, we, we do need to make sure that um, anytime there is something that looks like it would kind of topple the apple cart, if you will, on securing all those votes that, that we're bringing in with, with the chase and the registration, yep. uh, that we're acting to protect them. The I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a question I get all the time, and I'm uh, inadequate to the task of answering it. How safe and secure do you think our elections will be? How, how does it look to you at this point, at this moment in time? Um, well, I, I have my view uh, as an election official um, that we have 15 different counties and every election uh, equipment, the election equipment is chosen by the county. Mm-hmm. So it's different. It's yep. different in every county. They all follow the procedures manual and they all follow um, Title 16. That's where our election laws live here in Arizona, most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the procedures manual is an example of something where uh, we must engage in litigation. This is not, uh, you know, people might have concerns about things that might seem frivolous. I concur. You know, I'm not one that's that's going to engage in in something that's frivolous or or based on specious arguments. The procedures manual um, is, you know, literally a set of rules dictated to the election officials telling them how to conduct an election. This comes out of Adrian Fontes' office. It does. Thank you. Yes. And it was signed off on by A.G. uh, Mays and Mm -hmm. by Governor Hobbs. So since there was no legislative input, um, what we look at when we look at that is, is there anything in here that contradicts a statute passed by the legislature or and or is there anything in here that is not um, a delegated authority that the legislature gave to the secretary of state to make rules? Mm -hmm. There are some statutes that say. You know, um, uh, you shall you shall present ID and you shall vote early. And it could say things like uh, in compliance with rules promulgated by the secretary of state. Let's say that that's in there. If that's not in there and there's something brand new that's been created or if there is something and it's being contradicted, that must be litigated and it must be litigated before the election starts. That's a key piece of that. You can't do it after people start voting. Uh, the courts will say that's latches, um, yep. and that's because you can't confuse the voters, right? Voters are voting, and you can't change the process in the middle of an election, or voters become confused, and then they might be disenfranchised, and, and no one wants that. So that's why the legislature, uh, who's been working on, on that um, for several months since the original draft got, got dropped uh, and went live in October, uh, the legislature filed uh, a week ago their, their litigation, and I expect that there will be an announcement um, from the state party and the RNC probably sometime in the next week that we will also be engaging um, in, in litigation uh, on that procedures manual as well. Good. The battle is joined. I'm glad to hear it, Gina. Um, there's obviously a lot of reporting and a lot of interest in the reporting in there being divisiveness in the party. How bad is the divisiveness? I think a bunch of it is overstated. And of course, it is a party of divergent interests, of course. But what's your sense of it? 
I agree with you, Seth. Yeah. So, so I actually think that the Republican Party uh, here in Arizona is, is more united than it's been at any time since Good. President Reagan. Good. And I think that's a result of the atrocious policies of the Democrat Party. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, as I say, like, you know, the border's open, the education system is being held hostage, uh, you know, uh, by, by the current uh, occupant of the ninth floor. Uh, which is the governor's office uh, for those who weren't down there at the Capitol. Um, we have rampant inflation and the inflation, you know, people always lose track of this. It's driven primarily by the energy policies of the mm-hmm. Biden administration, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. e- you need energy to transport and to manufacture and to to grow food. Like, yeah. I mean, it affected fertilizer, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, so on every level, the American people, and particularly here in Arizona, where we have amongst the highest inflation rates of the country are just experiencing pain. That's what this, this Democrat administration has brought, nothing but pain to the people. And Republicans are united um, against those policies and in restoring, uh, you know, a, a, a quality of life that the American people work for and, and you know, to, to help them once again achieve the American dream. It is true. Um, you know, we are more individualistic, if I could use that sure. word, uh, sure. than the party on the left. Yeah. And so that means, you know, we're very energized and engaged. And when our base gets together and we're, you know, electing our officers, it's serious business. And that's when we have our fights. And that's what that's for. That's the appropriate time for us to argue with each other about who do we want, you know, uh, kind of steering the ship. And then we're going to come together and we're going to fight against the bad policies. We'll have a little more of this, you know, until our primaries are done, right? Because we're we're each kind of, you know, uh, looking at, at different candidates right now. But overall, I do believe we're more united than we have been uh, in probably 25 or 30 years. Well, I am so delighted you are in this position, Gina, the clarity of your voice, the clarity of your thought and uh, the the willingness for you to do this. It just delights me to no end because we do have a state and a country to save here. Godspeed. Anytime we can do anything with or for you, you let us know, Gina. I wanted to get you on, though, before your first week came and went uh, without congratulating you and alerting the audience to your uh, to your position. Thank you so much, Seth. God bless you. God, God bless, bless you. Arizona. And Godspeed. Well, it, well, it is Groundhog Day after all. I was gonna, I would, did not ask for this, but I was wondering if it would make an appearance. Portions of the show brought to you by our good friends at Y Refi. They have a heck of a great opportunity of an investment for you in a secure and collateralized portfolio where um, you get a monthly statement with no surprises, obviously, and total peace of mind in that there's no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, there are absolutely no fees, and you can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. Best part is you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. They're also based here locally. You can visit them in person. Their offices are right on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. I've been there any number of times. Great folks. And um, you won't get a sales pitch, and you won't be asked to sign anything. So um, if you don't see them in person, check them out online. InvestYREFI.com, 888-YREFI24, 888-YREFI24. Um, Boy, Gina, there's no substitute for brains, as we've been saying a lot lately, which is great. And what a clear voice. Sharp person. Smart. Um, When's the last time you had a chairman of the GOP use the word latches 
or cite to Dante's Inferno. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think we can expect great things for her, from her. And uh, boy, I'm just I'm just excited about this. It's the party's been kind of you know it's just been kind of surviving, you know. And uh, there's been a problem with different kinds of angles and leadership and. There hasn't been confidence in it. You know, whatever else you want to say about it. Did Hugh get into any of this yesterday? I don't know. But uh, maybe he'll get into some of it with us next week. Uh, But um, that's a good word. That's a good way to start that point. There hasn't been a lot of confidence in the party. And Gina, first and foremost, restores confidence. So uh, that's great. And um, I like the the illusion of Reagan because I'm thinking about that. Think about what George Will said about Ronald Reagan. You know, he took a unconfident country in a dangerous world on a giant clipper through a rollicking storm, and he calmed the passengers and the storm. And that's what we need. We do have a storm, and we have the president, the likes of which might actually be worse than what Reagan took over from. All right, we have a lot more coming up. We have Rabbi Elush, we have Sam Stone, we have hijinks from young David. You can always expect that. We'll be right back.